tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com, I, the Thunderous Wizard, Captain Cash, and Chumpzilla have come to bargain as we reassemble to discuss our respective top three films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hops and Box Office Flops, a place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. So here we go, boys, the final stretch. Number three, Black Panther for me. Number two, Spider-Man Far From Home. And number one, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I'm going to briefly describe uh, all three of these. Uh, Of course, we're going to stop a little bit in between to discuss them, but with Black Panther, I love this movie, and I love it mainly because it felt so unique comparatively to a lot of what we had gotten uh, before. Wakanda felt like a fully realized separate place within the world. Uh, Obviously, the Guardian stuff is unique too, but Wakanda, I thought they did such a nice job with it, and then the supporting cast in this movie... I mean, in a lot of these movies, it's great, but M'Baku, Winston Duke, maybe my favorite side character in any of these movies. Uh, Claw, Andy Serkis, love that friggin' guy. And Killmonger was finally a villain. There was an emotional connection. He mattered. He had, a, like, a real bone to pick. And his story, you feel for Killmonger. Even though he's a bad person, you feel for him because he's been through a lot. Point of order, this movie is the Lion King, but Simba is the bad guy. Okay, that's fair. Uh, also, the casino fight is friggin' phenomenal. Lot to love Circus about this Circus was movie. great. Circus was great, and, you know... Circus was great. In that scene, that, that casino scene, that was awesome. He walked into that place like a friggin' boss. He just felt cool. Like, he was Ray Liotta and Goodfellas before he got addicted to cocaine. <laughs> also, let's let's not sleep on Okoye and Shuri. Yes, that's what I'm saying. The supporting other, cast. Yeah, the supporting cast. The, the only one I really had an issue with was... Uh, who was the guy from uh, Get Out? He was terrible in this movie. Daniel Kaluuya was... Yeah, the, the husband of Okoye. Yeah, he, so help me out here. didn't quite stick it, but... And then, of course, he's riding the incredibly corny-looking rhinoceros at the end. The end of this movie is really the weak point, whereas this is like, this could have easily been my number one, and then we get rubber train fight, and it's like, ah, damn it. That was Tobey Maguire Spider-Man bad, rubber rubber suit fighting. Yeah. Rubber train Uh, fight is terrible, and they foreshadow how terrible it's going to be really early in the movie. Like, oh, here's our magic trains. It's like, oh shit, something's going to happen with the magic trains. My biggest disappointment was learning that Winston Duke is not, in fact, Bill Duke's son. Well, then it would have been number one for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I was like, no, that, that can't be, because that's where my brain went. I'm like, oh, is that Bill Duke's kid? That can't be true. And it wasn't. To defend the end of this movie, this movie might go out on the strongest line. The, the villain goes out the hardest of 
any villain of the MCU. The bury me in the sea with my ancestors who knew that death was better than bondage, and he tears the spear out of his chest. Holy shit. This is the first African-American-led Marvel movie, and it nailed it. And that line, like you said, that had such a huge impact. There's no denying this was a cultural phenomenon. One of my favorite aspects of this movie is that it doesn't shy away from the fact that, hey, if Wakanda is such this advanced society that it's been around for a while, they've kind of let a lot of horrible shit slide, haven't they? And this movie not only didn't paper over that, they directly went at it head on. And I was like, okay, holy shit, way to go this movie. God damn. This is one the of the smartest if not the smartest MCU movie. Yeah, the soundtrack is awesome. And as a costume guy, man, to to your point there, Wizard, the costumes in this are incredible. That You get such a distinct sense of the border tribe in blue, the river tribe in green, the merchant tribe, I think, in red. It's just, it's so well, well done. And we haven't ever seen Afrofuturism on screen at this level, and man, it worked. It definitely landed. I think it was universally praised for that. Uh, yeah. I will say it does suffer from some of the typical MCU problems, though. Killing Circus is. It was stupid. That oh, that was, was a mistake. Yeah, that was a mistake. He was, was great. So fun. And it, we assume that Killmonger's dead, but I don't know if that's necessarily a guarantee. There's rumors he might come back. I think, again, he was a great villain. Killing him kind of, I get it. But at the same time, though, all he got really was his mirror match type deal. Mm. Um, and it's another, you know, hero versus the dark version of himself. I feel like you could have done more with that character in the future, killing him after the first conflict. Ugh, it's kind of a waste. I will say he did have another line that killed it in the theaters, and that was the high auntie line. Hey, he comes auntie. The throne, hey, auntie. Yeah. Dude, that killed. That killed. People loved it. It was probably the most boisterous crowd I've been to one of these superhero movies with, and it was fun. And I love this movie. Uh, Maybe I probably should have put it above my number two, which is Spider-Man Far From Home, Uh, as I said. And I just, I really enjoyed this movie. And the thing is, I know it has significant, significant problems which I'll talk about first because then I want to talk about the fun stuff. The stupidest part of this movie is Tony entrusting a global murder machine to a 16-year-old who's going on vacation. Like, hey, take these glasses. I'm not going to tell you what they do, but then you're nearly going to unleash a drone on the annoying kid who grew up and is now trying to steal your girlfriend. It was so 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 stupid to hinge the entire plot on these glasses which he then gives to somebody he barely knows knowing it's a fucking murder machine it was so dumb but i ignore all that because that's not the dumbest part of that the dumbest part of that is that tony made another murder machine yeah we learned nothing is that he secretly built a drone army (laughs) that are controlled (laughs) through his glasses (laughs) For the second time. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Didn't you learn anything from Ultron? Get your shit together, Tony. <laughs> Hold on. Not only is that dumb, but then the Happy would hand it over. 
wouldn't Happy have half a brain to be like, oh, maybe I should hang on to this for a while, maybe till he graduates high school, you know? You know, at least eighteen. Eighteen seems the reasonable yeah, age think for about, a murder it's a trust machine. Fund. It's, it's a murder machine trust fund. Wait till he gets to legal age. Maybe I should wait to give this to him until he's stopped being cyber bullied by Flash Thompson. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? All right, so ignoring the murder machine, which is just dumb, and so is the fact that all of his friends also got blipped. Terrible, terrible terminology. I thought that was incredibly stupid. They all yeah, got blipped. Was not. They all got blipped, so they could all return together. And I get it's for convenience, but gosh. It just felt so like, oh shit, we didn't think about this. Oh wait, no, we got it. They're all blipped. All right, now it's okay. Uh, that was really stupid as well. well. No, no, the one, the one guy wasn't blipped. The other romantic rival. Well, he, he wasn't in the first movie. Oh, I guess he technically was, sort of. My issue with that is you've got a thirty-year-old to play a guy in high school when you've got a lot of other people who are like in their teens or very early 20s and i'm like this is noticeable yes it's just a 90210 school of casting but what i do love the trippy mysterio scene is so wonderfully and perfect mysterio that's fair it is incredible it's probably one of my favorite sequences from the entire mcu i thought that was so well done so creative uh, not only did it feel reminiscent of the, the old cartoon, but I went back immediately to playing Arkham Asylum when you get sprayed by the Scarecrow, and he, and then you're all of a sudden you're in his reality. It was the perfect Mysterio scene, and it worked as much as I liked his other scenes where he's creating the illusion. This one just nailed it. Because the other ones, he's the hero, and it's the fight, and it feels very just general generic superhero stuff this one felt like he's in total control he's the master manipulator it's it's a friggin incredible scene and the ending i i liked a lot too i just really had fun i had a lot of fun with with this movie and i know it's dumb but another mcu building problem they killed jake gyllenhaal apparently yeah did they did they i hope not because i would love to see a sinister six spider-man I think they're building towards the Sinister Six. Call it They on. have to be. And I think if you don't put Norman at the at sort of the lead of that, like if you don't build toward Norman who then brings these people back together, that'll be a mistake because it's time. Nah, time out. I- I'm going to do the, your strength from the source material. Doc Ock is the one that brings the Sinister Six together originally. Yeah, but we have a great Doc Ock. The last Norman we got looked like a human frog, and then his son turned into an angry troll doll. He must be redeemed. You know, we've got the groundwork laid. We've already got the vulture, which they smartly did not kill. You've yes, got the scorpion. Yep. You've got the shocker in some capacity. Yep. We've got Mysterio now. Okay. And I'm assuming you get Doc Ock and the Green Goblin. Yeah. Uh, I think you need Craven. Well, Sony owns the rights to him, so we'll see. Next thing you know, they're going to have a Craven solo movie. They're well, trying to do that. Oh my god! They, yeah, who's Venom attached was to that? Moderately, Venom was moderately successful, and that was the worst thing that could have happened for Sony. Because now they're going to do Venom two, and like I get 
Andy Serkis is slated to direct Venom 2. But Venom 1 was dumb as fuck. And I like that character. I have Spider-Man 300. It's one of my prized possessions. This is Sony's only leverage against Disney at this point. Exactly. So they're going to use it. And I, I get that. Um, so, you know, Listeners, I have a little interest now. I, I'll admit, I'm a little interested now they got Circus attached. I'm much more uh, interested. Don't go see Venom. It's just gonna fuck up Spider-Man. Please don't. Yeah. It's too late, Captain Cash. The movie killed it. Just killed it. It made a ton of money. Yeah. 800 plus. The worst part is, the MCU could have easily had Spider-Man return from space with the black costume, a la its origin in the Secret Wars comics from the 80s. It would have been so money. The nerdgasm would have been extreme. But it would have been perfect. We, instead, we get this Sony crap. I have a feeling uh, if the ball was in a different court, that's probably how it would have shaped out. Unfortunately, they are, even though they're leading the way creatively uh, with Spider-Man, they don't have the rights to all the necessary components to have done that. So, unfortunately, may never happen. On to have your news. All right, and my number one. It's obviously Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I'm just going to be quick. This movie is a masterpiece. From the highway fight to reintegrating Zola in a completely relevant and ingenious way. And the fact that this movie is just a homage to Cold War espionage, espionage thrillers of the 70s. This movie is a masterpiece. It's an action masterpiece. It's all grounded action it's gritty, it's a straight up punch you in the face, drop you off a bridge, beat the shit out of you, throwback movie, and I love it. Only downfall is you get Robert Redford, you have to use him in a more interesting way. Uh, and then of course, the other faults of the movie don't fall within this movie, they fall with how the larger universe just fumbled everything it established. When the Nazis nearly take over the world, it should last longer than the first 15 minutes of the next movie. It should have friggin' mattered, and it didn't. This movie kicks so much ass. This movie did the thing that I think is most important for the overall meta-narrative. It made Captain America cool. That first boat fight, you're 100% in. Holy shit, Cap is awesome. This is great. We're, we're there. Like, Avengers, Avengers was fun. But he looked silly in Avengers. By the time you got to the point where he kicks a dude and that person flies directly backward 10 feet and then flips over the railing to a boat, you're like, holy crap, this guy could straight up murder somebody constantly if he wanted to. In Avengers, he almost seems kind of useless when he's trying to help Iron Man fix the the wing and he's just sort Uh. of jumping eight feet in the air from place Seems to place. Seems to be made out of some kind of electricity. He takes it up a notch in this film. Yeah. This is the movie where you get to see why Cap is the leader. Like Avengers, to your point, Avengers tried to do that, especially in in the very end of Avengers where he does the Cap call it out. Okay, you're going to do this and you're going to do that and Hulk smash. Which was great. Which for was that movie. great. For that movie. But... You just kind of have to go with it that they're going to follow Cap. 
this movie gave you the reason that why they follow Cap. Plus, you got lines like, "This isn't freedom; it's fear." They don't. They purposefully don't let Cap dwell on the past. Like, "Oh, I miss the past so much." He does the. You know what? A lot of stuff is different. We used to boil things. The internet so helpful. All of those things where Cap is more like they move him forward in time. He's not clinging to the past. Really is like. Listen, I rank this three. I feel like this is arguably the best overall movie in Marvel's canon. You can watch this single film, and it holds up completely. You don't have to watch another movie. It doesn't matter where it sits in the overall narrative. It's just straight up a great movie. It's a top five comic book film. That's oh, easily. I, that's how I think of that, this movie. Yeah. To me, it has the single best scene in any MCU film, and that is the elevator fight. That That is awesome. That scene was so awesome that we get probably the most direct callback and probably the longest dwelling on such a small scene in a previous film in Endgame because that's how awesome it was. And what's more impressive to me about this movie than some of the others is seeing some of the uh, the test footage or the, the practice footage for the fights for that elevator scene and also for the street fight with the Winter Soldier to see how, how much work Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans put into it. Because, again, this wasn't CGI, this wasn't tricky camera work, this was solid stunt work. Same thing for the fight at the, at the beginning of the movie with uh, uh, the UFC guy. George St. Pierre. GSP, yeah. Uh, I believe you mean Bartok the Leaper. That whole boat scene was awesome. This is the best straight-up action that we saw in any of the Marvel movies, which is so on brand for Captain America. He is a soldier at the end of the day. We got to see him be a soldier in this movie, and it's it's so rewatchable, and it holds up so well because so much of this was done with stunt work and practical effects. Uh, it wasn't a CGI mess. Even at the end where it gets a little dicey, it was okay because at that point you really cared about Bucky and Steve. It was awesome. The villain, My- yeah, a little generic, but to me this movie was perfect. Um, you know, it was smart. It was one of the smarter movies. Again, the political comments and Steve establishing his morality, all key stuff to the character. My quibble with Sebastian Stan is the best Sebastian Stan had in any of these movies was in First Avenger. That was my hold back here where Steve is trying to save Bucky and Bucky is just kind of all over the map. He's great in this movie. I'm sorry. His, his the, the, the fight scene on the rooftop and the oh. fight scene with the, the car chase scene with, uh, uh, with uh, Samuel L. Jackson... I mean, that is some great action. It's he, great. No, I'm not, I'm not arguing that. Physical, he's physical presence is great. Yes, I really, I he doesn't have a lot that. of lines, but he nails the physical presence in that role. That's fair. My only issue is that when we're supposed to empathize with him later, I'm still stuck on, and this is probably more for Civil War than this, where he just kind of does, oh, what's going on? It's like, eh, come on, Bucky. The title of the movie is The Winter Soldier, but he's not the star. You know, his brain fell in the blender at this point. Yeah. Um, and those scenes were great, too. He gets way more to do with actually nothing to say than a lot of the MC villain, 
MCU villains get to do with multiple lines to establish who they are and what they're after. His silent, strong, physical, like, as soon as he catches the shield, it's like, oh, shit's changed. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? I can't remember the exact quote. And here's how I'll kind of end why I love this movie so much, because I do love 80s action movies. And as we've mentioned many, many times, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold had a quote a few years back about how action movies were different now. Characters could fly and they had powers and, you know, you didn't have the grounded feel. This is a grounded action movie. And yes, they're both powered characters. They're stronger than the average human. But these are real fights with real stunt choreography. And it just, it kicks ass. I've said it, it just feels hard hitting. Sometimes with the CGI stuff, you get sort of lost in the, oh, well, none of this is actually happening. And that goes yeah. for across the comic book board. Um, and sometimes it's done better than other times. You know, like sometimes that CGI stuff looks really great. Sometimes it just, it, it doesn't hit you with anything because you know it's not there. This movie, everything is there. Chumpsill is talking about the, the choreography that went into it. I love seeing that. I love the work that people put in to make a fight feel that hard-hitting. Yeah, it's the weight. The CGI stuff never has the same weight no. as the practical uh, stunt work. And yeah. that knife flip that Sebastian stand up, oh, that's not CGI. Flip. That knife flip, he practiced yes. that tirelessly. Yeah. And he nails it. Great. Um, yeah, this movie's perfect. You can say they didn't do a lot with the villain. But the scene where Robert Redford slaps Bucky in the Hydra chamber, that's great villain work. That guy, you, you can tell right there how bad that guy is. He's not scared about slapping that dude around. He owns him, yeah. Because he knows full well. It, it could end badly. That guy has the, the ability to kill people, you know, at will. But, no, he's the one in charge. He has no actual fear of him in that situation. And I thought that was kind of cool. That was one of the more you know, signature moments for a villain in the MCU. Because there really aren't a whole lot. What's uh, what's Ultron's signature moment? He doesn't really have one. I guess when he chops off Andy Serkis' arm. <laughs> Who's another bad guy. So yeah. he beats up on his underlings. I, that, that to me set the tone of like what his character really was, how bad he really was. He wasn't just got, you know misguided. He wasn't just an ambitious politician. He was, he was an evil uh, Nazi in uh, sheep's clothing. I did like that they brought him back, even for oh, just yeah. that five seconds. Of, I love Robert Redford. Uh, dear internet, he's not Zach Galifianakis. You should know damn well who that meme is. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Robert friggin' Redford. He's the natural. To give context, I would like you to Google Nod Jif, the man with the large beard and the flannel shirt in what appears to be Alaska nodding approvingly is Robert Redford. Maybe the biggest movie star on the planet for 10 years. And to be fair, if Robert Redford then had seen this movie, he'd looked approvingly with those steely blue eyes, magnificent beard, and long hair, and just just nodded. Good job, Winter Soldier. Good job. Good job. I can't overstate again how awesome that elevator scene is. It's fantastic. That is so badass. All right, so uh, it's going to be hard to top, 
our Winter Soldier conversation, but I guess you can try Captain Cash. So what are your top three? So my top three of the overall MCU gives you three at Winter Soldier because, honestly, it is a great film. Two is Thor Ragnarok, and one is The Avengers. So we've covered Winter Soldier extensively, uh, but I still put Thor Ragnarok on top just because I had so much goddamn fun at this movie between the Kirby lines, the getting fucking crazy with the outer space Thor stuff, which is basically where this comes from. Jack Kirby just had an obsession with the chariots of fire. The gods are actually aliens thing. And it, it fully embraced that. Fucking Jeff Goldblum in this movie? I still contend that when Jeff Goldblum got the script for this movie, he opened it up and it just said, have a good time, Jeff. He is so much fun. Like, I remember sitting in the theater and as Thor is going through the tunnel that explains what Sakaar is and what the Grand Master is and it plays in the background, the Willy Wonka song, Imagination, laughing out loud that they are going this wild with it. Also, it just it it wasn't afraid to just go, look, we get the Thor didn't work, we get the Thor 2 extra didn't work. We're blowing it up, we're doing something different. Here we go. It let Hemsworth be as funny as he actually is, which I don't think anybody really grokked to until the Ghostbusters reboot where they went, wait, this guy can be funny too? And it just it worked so well and Look, I understand that Hela isn't in it for much of the film, and she's very much uh, a literal deus ex machina or diablos ex machina, depending on how you want to view it. But she clearly is vamping it up so hard that I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no, this is my fetish. This is where I'm at. Yeah, I'm here for that. <laughs> and even e even the folks that they introduced, like. Carl Urban is Scourge the Destroyer. Awesome. Uh, that, yeah, it, it was a stretch. That character was introduced solely for the fact they could get him dual-wielding AK-47s on the Rainbow Bridge, because that cropped up in a Thor arc. That's the whole reason he's there. Comic and accurate. I, I have a great time with him. The whole fucking Scourge has got a shake weight thing is hilarious. It nailed it so completely. Seeing the the trailers, I expected to have a good time. I didn't expect to have this level of a good time with this movie. Now, I mean, sure, it's it's got its negatives, where Hell is a little rubbery in CGI in spots, especially when she's dominating Asgard and like at the beginning of Act Two. And like, I like the Doctor Strange cameo. But it, it does kind of overstay its welcome at a certain point. You're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Fine. Whatever. Let's move this along. But, man, I love this movie. This is one of those movies I could watch again and again and again. And you failed to mention that Mark Ruffalo and the Hulk are in this movie, too. Oh, my God. Right. And the worst part about <laughs> this movie, the worst part about this is if they somehow could have convinced people to go watch this movie without revealing that the Hulk was in it, that would have blown the goddamn roof 
off every theater this was in. Yeah. Because you're clearly not totally meant to understand that Hulk is in this movie until he enters at like midway through Act Two. And oh my God, it is so good. And Ruffalo is so good in it too. And the balance between Hulk and, and Ruffalo, I, it's ju- And I didn't even mention Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. This movie is so good. You're not wrong. This is definitely the most fun of the MCU movies. It is pure, unadulterated fun the whole way through. The biggest, the biggest hurdle you've got with this movie is that it's such a departure, even from the other MCU films, that it's hard to kind of rein it back in um, post-Ragnarok. But I agree with your analysis. Thor 1, Thor 2, they didn't really land. I think they were really focused on that period costume drama type movie. Like, hey, let's get that Game of Thrones uh, demographic. Let's try to diversify our brand here. Oh, <laughs> shit. The second one was directed by a Game of Thrones director. That's the yeah. whole reason he got that job. Absolutely. And they were definitely trying to diversify their storytelling that way. Uh, I think they saw that as a way to kind of hedge their bets because they still weren't really trusting in the character. Whereas, like you said... Uh, they embraced the Kirby-esque wackiness and cosmic nature of Thor and and those characters. And this was a great movie. It was better for it. But it was a lot of fun. I just don't have it ranked that as high as you do. I still liked it. I, I liked it a lot more the second time around, which I'm finding happens a lot with these MCU movies now, especially because the internet is just out of control with best Marvel movie ever. I get so tired of that crap because they say it about every Marvel movie that comes out. And it's very clear that they're not all the best movie ever. They're not all getting better. There's really great ones, Winter Soldier. There's good ones. There's ones that aren't as good. It's so ridiculous that every time it comes out, the whole press unites to say this is the best thing ever. And so I have to see movies twice, long story short, because... I always go in thinking like, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of problems here. And this movie does have a lot of problems. I think it's a lot of fun. And that's why I liked it a lot more the second time around. Because it definitely wasn't in my top ten when I saw it the first time. Uh, the Ragnarok portion is it's forgettable because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Uh, it's barely in the movie. And it's tacked on at the end. All the fun stuff in this movie happens on uh, Sakaar. And that part of the movie's fantastic. And it's hilarious. And I, to your point, I think Jeff Goldblum just decided to say whatever the hell he pleased. I think the smelting stick was probably something he brought to set one day. <laughs> it was like, this thing melts people. <laughs> Put that in Fair the enough, Jeff. Let's, let's do it. It's just, it, it's hilarious. And Taika, Waititi, Taika Waititi's movies are often hilarious. And he has a very distinct sense of humor that doesn't, to Chumpzilla's point, really meshed with the rest of the universe, but it capitalized on Hemsworth's natural comedic charms, which, yeah, people didn't really know he had, uh, because Thor 1, he has comedic moments. He throws down the glass, and he says, I'd like to have another. He walks into the pet store, and he wants their finest uh, horse. Uh, Thor 2 is a meandering mess for the most part. But he's he's a funny guy. All his interactions with Peter Quill tell you like he's just as 
charismatic and charming as as Chris Pratt is. And that's, you know, that's a rare thing and it makes him sort of indispensable and I think that's why they brought him back because they need they they still need that going forward, especially if Guardians wraps up with Guardians 3, you have to have the actors who can carry the day. This movie it redeems Thor. It allows us to get a Thor 4. I would have never guessed that. Oh. I would have never guessed yeah. that. I also would have never guessed that this movie was going to be as big a hit as it was. Now, after seeing it, would I think like, oh, this will be a huge hit on DVD or streaming? Yeah, definitely, because it's infinitely rewatchable. This is a movie, if I was 17 years old, I would quote every day. I can't emphasize enough how cool it was to see all the Kirby-esque visuals in this yeah. movie. As an yeah. old school comics fan, being of a slightly older demographic, that was not lost on me. I appreciated it. It was great. And it looked fantastic. They nailed the look, all the stuff on Sakaar. It was great. It was great. Yeah. It was wacky. It was wild. It was colorful. It was awesome. And that's not something you got in the previous movies at all. You know, nope. this took this jump into this with both feet. And it was great. It was better for it. The thing I want to end the discussion with Ragnarok on is. I feel like Marvel catches a lot of flack for, oh, these movies don't mean anything, and they're just silly pablum, and they're just, it's fun, and they have jokey jokes. But if you pay attention, the real story of Ragnarok is colonialism is universally bad, and systems built on colonialism, no matter how good they are now, deserve to be destroyed. And the level of rebellion inherent in that, just to me, you, you guys took the gloves off. Let's do this. And, and again, I, I realize it's not everybody else's number two, but this movie just is so good. Okay, in the interest of moving on. Fair enough. Fair. It also had Matt Damon. It did have Matt Damon. We could talk forever about how great this fucking movie is. And the other Hemsworth. And Hemsworth, the is he the lesser or is he the third lesser? Which is, I believe he's the lesser lesser. He's the lesser lesser. He's the fake crocodile Dundee commercial Hemsworth, right? The real, the real way to answer that question is which is worse, Westworld or The Hunger Games? And then you've got your Hemsworth the lesser and Hemsworth the lesser lesser. But regardless, number one, my number one is The Avengers, and. The reason for this is, as a movie, I think it hangs together extremely well. Basically, seven years on, it's still something I can go back to. It's another one of those films like Ragnarok, where if it was just on, oh, Avengers is on, this is what we're going to watch. But more than that, it became the baseline for all cinema going forward. Like, if you were in the comic book movie-making business, after this movie dropped, you were immediately obliged to explain why you weren't doing it like this. The Dark Universe, which was the mummy, Dracula, like, the Universal Monsters, immediately tried to copy it. The DCEU immediately tried to copy it. Hellboy winks at it. Brightburn winks at it. Godzilla does the same thing with Godzilla, Kong, the whole monarch system. It This changed the way that blockbuster movies happen in 
really the last 10 from the 2010s this is the movie and all of it is a character piece and it is so so strong everywhere along the way i mean really the only negatives i see in this is that the cgi can get a little bit dicey when they blow up the base and i i like hawkeye a lot to the point again uh, i have a a cosplay of Hawkeye that I did, particularly the Matt Fraction run. Hawkeye's a great character, but Renner just doesn't do it for me. And I know, like, the Captain America costume here has a as an in-universe example of why it's so hokey and cheesy, but if you go back and look at it, you're like, holy shit, that looks goofy. But it, still, this movie hangs together so incredibly well. To me, this is the defining blockbuster of the last 10 years, maybe the, the next 10 years. It's hard to say. I think that's all very fair. It's hard to argue against this particular movie. This was, again, it, yeah, it was, a, it was a measuring stick. And we've talked about measuring sticks in terms of special effects like with Star Wars. This was, it, it certainly caused DC to say, hey, we have to accelerate what we're doing. Like, we need this now. Forget about, like, the build. We need this right now. To their detriment. True. It just did it so well. But if you look at it and you analyze, this is the culmination of building something from Iron Man to Hulk to Captain America. You're, you're building, you're building, you're building. It shows an incredible amount of patience and foresight and trust that this is all going to work out. And to Joss Weed's credit, who, I mean, that poor son of a gun catches more crap online now than anybody. He, he brought this movie together in a wonderful way. And I really don't have it that many negatives, aside from the fact that you actually create a real moment of emotion in this film by killing Coulson and then you mm. undercut that by creating a stupid TV show to cash in on the success of the movies and you bring them right back. I don't like that at all. I think it narratively it it, it sacrifices what was a really powerful moment because he's us for all intents and purposes, right? He's the person witnessing all this amazing shit happen and he's a regular guy. He's our character. He's our perspective character. He's always there, and he's just a person. And then you kill him, and then you bring him back for a friggin' TV show that I know some people some people like it. I just thought it was a cheap, sort of lazy thing to do. So, well, the good thing there is that it doesn't happen in the film. Yes, true. So, in a vacuum, you don't get that cheapening experience. I can't really add anything to the positives you guys already laid out. I mean. Let's be honest, the tracking shot in this movie. Everybody that oh saw that in Hollywood was like, shit, we need that. How do we get that? Because that was awesome. That was great. It was very comic book-esque. It was perfect. I will say that. Whedon did it. The, the Russo brothers have done it. They've done a good job of, of hitting those big uh, splash page type comic book imagery and translating it to the screen. And that was awesome. I mean, that was great. They marketed the shit out of that shot, as they should have. Only real downside there is Captain still looks goofy in that. 
Anytime they shoot that costume from the back, it looks terrible. He's just a big blue blob. He looks like he's in Willy Wonka and he's going to turn into a... Violet, Violet Beauregard? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the script was good. Again, I think the banter between the characters in this movie was solid. It wasn't the best, but it was impressive for the time because it carried the movie. It worked well balancing all those characters. Everybody got their screen time. Yeah, not a lot of complaints. I mean, it, it uh, the whole movie, though, is not as rewatchable as some of the films that came later. I, I will say that. It, it doesn't it doesn't hold up quite as well overall. See, I, I watch this movie a lot still. And a lot for me now is like, I wouldn't even say once a year, because that's very few movies. But I've seen this movie more, I'd uh, than any other Marvel movie than The Winter Soldier. I think that'd be a fair assessment. Yeah, well, I think part of it for me, personally, is that Whedon at times, and I think Captain Cash referenced it earlier, some of the, the, the action scenes are small in scope compared to what we've gotten later, and it's tough to go back and watch them again. And I Actually, I'll attribute that to Whedon's TV background. I think he limited himself Maybe it was budgetary reasons or whatever, but he kept things smaller. And sometimes I don't think that works in his, to his advantage. So Justice League came out 2017, and obviously I was very excited for that. There's not a scene in that movie that you could put every action sequence in that movie together, and none of them rival the fight in New York City. So it, it did do something that a lot of movies have failed to replicate to this day and that was a big sprawling sequence where every character got their moment and it just it just really came together nicely uh yeah. except for cap cap really feels sort of weak in that movie i know he's sort of the leader but he almost feels sort of neutered in comparison to later movies i mean in endgame he's fist fighting thanos to to a better success rate it's not successful, but to a better success rate than friggin' Thor. So, or Captain Marvel. That's not true, but we are going to talk about Endgame next. Yeah. And I am super pumped for that. It is true. Thor nearly gets stabbed in the chest with his own axe. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Not, not, not you, wizard. You, you are correct. He is more successful than fighting Thanos than Thor is, but not more than Captain Marvel. Okay. No, when Captain, no. Yeah, when Captain Marvel no sells that headbutt, you're like, holy shit, that was awesome. Okay, that okay, that was pretty hardcore. But yeah. I think overlooked when talking about Avengers, one of the best scenes in the movie, hands down, is the Loki scene at the art gallery. Yes, love that scene. And the guy in the crowd that stands up to him and says, no, Oh we- my god. No, we've seen men like you before. That's great. That 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 whole sequence is great. And I think that gets lost because everyone talks about the battle in New York, which is also awesome. But that scene was great. And that was a smaller scene with just the big three. Or actually just the big two, right? I don't think Thor shows up at that point. No, that's Thor's just, not there. Thor said that's just Cap and Iron Man. Right after that. Oh. And then the big three meet up in the woods, yeah. Yeah, that, that moment of... There are no men like me. There are always oh. men like you. Yeah. Oh, holy shit. It's, it's essentially the defining moment 
of Loki because Loki is a weak person, which is why he puts his faith in bad people to amass strength he doesn't actually have to then conquer people because he want he he has this need for power because he's not actually powerful right he's this lost soul who's yearning to be respected because he's kind of he just needs to be loved enough if some person could come along and love him the right way he'd be fixed so we have to be getting the enchantress in thor love and thunder right that's the love in love and thunder all right it has to happen so that takes Captain Cash down to his number one. Why don't you recap yep. them real quick? Winter Soldier, Ragnarok Avengers. And now we're going to kick it over to Chumpzilla. This is our last three to one. And we've got a couple quick segments. But what do you got, Chumpzilla? Okay. My three to one at number three, Captain America Civil War. Number two, Endgame, and number one, The Winter Soldier, which we've already talked about. So I guess we'll go back to Civil War. Okay, there's really only one thing to say about this movie, and that is the airport. Airport fight, yes! That is every little kid's backyard, sandbox, all my action figures out, massive brawl. Every kid from the 80s to the 90s knows what I'm talking about. You've got all your dudes out, and it's just a massive, massive battle. To see that on the big screen was mind-blowing. I'll freely admit I was a big Marvel fan growing up. I read the comics in the 80s into the early 90s. So this whole Infinity Saga arc has been a big nostalgia grab for me. And just to see all my favorite characters on the screen at once, battling it out, it was insane. my mind was blown. Again, I said earlier, Ant-Man's biggest moment in any of the movies is when he goes to Giant Man. Totally somewhat unexpected, but totally unexpected to most people. It was awesome. It introduced the Black Panther. It introduced all sorts of things that were carried forward into other movies. Spider-Man! It introduced Spider-Man! Which, much like your comment, Captain Cash, about Hulk in the marketing for Ragnarok, it would have been great if they could have kept the wraps on that somehow. Because that would have been such a huge reveal. But I realized that they wanted every dollar possible, so they had to get that in the trailer. But yeah, it was a big improvement, too, in terms of juggling all that over Age of Ultron. Again, coming out of Age of Ultron, which is really the last big ensemble film. My biggest gripe here is this was not a Captain America movie. Captain America is in the title. This was Avengers 2.5. I have no problem with that, because it was a huge improvement over Age of Ultron. Another bucking the trend of the previous Marvel movies here, the villain lives. Zemo makes it out. And I thought he was an interesting villain. Again, a little disappointed. He didn't really do a whole lot. Kind of a more cerebral type of villain, working in the background. Maybe if he had a purple mask, I would have felt better. But again, he lives. And we, we now know that he returns in the, uh, the the Winter Soldier and Falcon TV show. Thunderbolts, you know, thunderbolts, thunderbolts. Just as like lightning. I'll say probably the weakest part of this film is that the plot was a little convoluted and it was a little too cute to have the tie between the Winter Soldier and Tony's parents getting murdered. It's The world kind of seems smaller, but it works. And at the end of the day, airport fight. I don't give a shit. 
Here's my disagreement on that very last point. Having Bucky kill Howard Stark, which was alluded to in Winter Soldier, is perfect. Because that's the piece at the very end of the thing where, yeah, I know we're both on the same side, but he killed my parents, so I don't care. Really carries that last bunker fight, which to me still has the the visceral brutality of Winter Soldier, where it's Bucky and and Captain America versus Iron Man, where it is just holy shit! I think they might kill each other. I think there's something important we learn about Steve in that moment. And more importantly, that Tony learns about Steve. You see that moment, and RDJ sells it perfectly, that the shield's going to come down on him. And Cap doesn't go for the head. Cap just goes to incapacitate the armor. RDJ doesn't really know what Cap's going to do there in the moment. He's scared. They sell that. He thinks this is it. You know, lights out. No, Captain America doesn't operate that way. He just wants to passivate the threat and end the conflict. It says something about both the characters. And I think deep down, that's where Tony, even though they, they separate on bad terms, deep in his heart, he knows Cap's a good dude and trusts him. And that's why he's able to forgive him eventually in the end. Yeah, hard to agree. That final fight, like when, when Tony does the, all right, fine, AI, take control. Let me beat this dude. Man. It is brutal and it is hard. Yeah. Well, it also speaks a lot to his character that he's relying on the AI to do it. And when he tells Steve everything special from you came out of a bottle, it's like, well, everything special about you, not not the end, obviously, because the end is the great redemption. Like Now you are fulfilling this destiny we've been building to. Everything special about you is that you actually know how to build things. Tony's big deal here is that he feels threatened by Steve's moral compass because he's got a darker history where, you know, Captain America is an overgrown Boy Scout. So he can't be wrong. He's infallible. He's challenged by that. So he's got to take a swipe at him. But yeah, the serum or the armor, they both have enhancements. I will agree the airport fight is, it's unimpeachable as one of the greatest scenes in the mcu it's fantastic it just is so friggin' cool to see that that is a comic splash panel if there ever was one where every shot you could imagine in a section of comic book and all these cool things are happening and they're all working together i love that scene i don't love basically anything about the rest of the movie the movie has a lot of problems for me it just it never makes any sense it never does and even when they present Tony with with a reasonable like hey we know who's doing this he's like no I don't care it's like what what you don't care and then Vision shoots to kill on Falcon thankfully he he hits Rhodey and they're like oh this is the big moment and you should feel really bad but then he walks at the end of the movie everything in that movie is cut off at the knees by the fact that they were so afraid to commit to people having hurt feelings at the end of it. Which is yeah. not at all what happens with Infinity War, which is why Infinity War works so well. If in Infinity War, not, he doesn't pull out a phone with Cap's number, he pulls out a letter 
He said, Cap and I don't talk anymore. And that's the friggin' letter he wrote him at the end of Civil War. Now it means something. The fact that he reads it and Cap apologizes within the same movie that we've watched the destruction of the Avengers, it all means nothing. The fact that Rhodey's walking as Stan Lee says Tony Stank, that moment means nothing. It means nothing. I, I think we're, we're in a comic book movie, so I, I don't have a huge problem with the walking with the exoskeleton, but I agree with you, it's too soon. They could have saved that yeah, save for it. later. Let us end the movie with some of these consequences still fully in place. I think there's a lot going on in this movie, and one of the things that gets lost is the great uh, dynamic between Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. I think oh, great- yeah. I've got him a show, I think. Yeah, exactly. This is the movie that sold me on, hey, I want a buddy film of those two. The scene of those two guys in the car, that's hilarious. Their chemistry's the nods. Their fight with Spider-Man, that was great. Like that like I'm now excited for that. I'm like, I didn't know I wanted that until I saw this movie, and I'm like, okay, that's something I now want to see expanded upon. So much of it is undercut by really egregious plot conveniences. Like twelve people die in this this city they're in when Scarlet Witch Cross, she shoots crossbones up into the air. Frank like, Grillo. And like 12 people die. And they're like, oh, this is the last straw. It's like, what about when like the 300,000 people died in the other movie? Like that didn't matter. And oh, now we're going to trust the drunk guy who's sitting at a bar with Tony Stark and the Incredible Hulk and who's a total piece of shit, warmongering ass clown. Like, come on. And, and then Tony buys it hook, line, and sinker because he gets a sob story from some lady. It's so weak. It seems odd on the surface, but again, they really wanted to use that comic art to generate this conflict. So they tried to mold the Civil War bit from the comics into something they could do on screen. They used the tools they had available. I mean, it's a little forced, but yeah, I don't have a huge problem with it. My, my biggest issue is that Cap's argument here is the only thing that stops a bad guy with superpowers is a good guy with superpowers. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> No, that's not his argument. No, isn't his it? argument is good people trying to do good things, not people driven by a policy agenda of a government who you don't actually know what they want to do. Why would I sign this? When they're not working for us, we're working for them. We're good people with good intentions. Why would we work with this guy who, by the way, tried to murder his daughter's boyfriend for the sake of murder? Yeah, I I think his comment about what if they tell us to go someplace we don't want to go and then tell us we can't go someplace we want to and the deal about borders and governments, I I know it's kind of like... it's a little idealistic from Cap, but that's the point. That's where Cap's yeah. at. You know. No, that's fair. And he's right. I, I think it's on character for him, and I get it. You know, he's like, the, the the best hands are still our own. I mean, that part doesn't bother me. I thought that was great character development work for Cap. And I, I can see where Tony's coming from. I know it's a little heavy-handed, but he's being guilted into this because he's starting to realize that he is the biggest villain in the MCU. That, <laughs> so it's a guilty conscience thing. Yeah. He's got a guilty conscience, yeah. He's susceptible to Ross's influence. He wants resolution so he can feel better because he can't get over the fact that 
he's in part responsible for a lot of the destruction and turmoil up to this point. That would have worked so much better if you did it in a way that mattered to his character and you called back to something that had happened on screen. Not something you concocted for the sake of the movie because now you decided, oh, we're going to... Because he wasn't actually supposed to be in this movie, by the way. Like, oh, we're bringing him in and now we have to create this for the sake of the narrative. Wait, RDJ wasn't going to be in the movie? They weren't going to do Civil War. And then he signed on. That was a sure thing. Yeah. Oh, I got it. And then they were like, oh, we're going to do it now. So then find a way to make it feel organic. Not like some random lady whose son was studying in... Sokovia. See, I think you're getting hung up on the specific of of the one lady and the one murder. It's it's the he had to realize there was a personal toll to Ultron. Well, I mean, how does he not know? He's like one of the smartest people on earth, and he doesn't understand there's a cost. We needed to see it on screen so they showed it to yeah. us. Because you didn't really see that in Ultron. No, that's true. they kind of yada yada that away. Yeah, and they they definitely gave the sense that. They saved everybody. We're yeah. fine. All right. So let's let's we got a big one to talk about here because my number two, and I think it's the last movie we haven't talked about, right? And is, on the high note, are we talking about Batman versus Superman? Talking about no. the Dark Knight. No, I'm talking about Endgame at number two. Man, the closure that this movie delivers is monumental. The callbacks are a little excessive. But they're great, and they're a little self-indulgent. But after 10 years and 22 other films, they get a total pass on it. It is awesome. Um, The twists in this movie, some are a little more telegraphed than others, but I think they're all interesting. And, again, as an overall bookend to this arc, the arc of Tony Stark and the Avengers, they stuck the landing. They gave the fans... The casual and hardcore alike, everything they wanted out of this movie, they tied up 99% of the loose ends. They did it in a way that was interesting, not too confusing. And like I said, they balanced it really well. I've really got very few complaints other than the time travel angle is always going to be a little hokey. And they kind of yada, yada, yada in a way, a really interesting part of this film. Steve's return trip to drop the stones off. There's another movie in that. And we just kind of hand-waved it away with a real quick explanation at the end. I would have killed to see a mid credit scene of him going back to Vormir and returning the Soul Stone to the Red Skull. That would have been great. Just a quick, laughable conversation with two of them. Steve tosses a stone over his shoulder as he walks away. Boom, goes to black. Continue with the credits. I thought you were going to say when he inevitably chokes the other Captain America to death with a tie so he can marry <laughs> This is a point I need to make because there's a lot of confusion. I've seen it online. People seem to be confused about the timeline. And the Russo brothers have made this very clear. When Steve goes back to return the stones, after returning the last stone, instead of making his last jump to the current timeline in the present, He returns to the current timeline in 1945 while he's still on ice, quietly marries Peggy. They live happily ever after. Meanwhile, he remains on ice two Steves in the main timeline until he's thawed out. That Steve comes out and we get to see his exploits through the Avengers movies. And then eventually it rectifies itself when he returns 
leaving only the one Steve in the current timeline who's been sitting on that bench waiting to conveniently come back and say, here, take my shield. So there's been two Steve Rogers in the entire MCU up to that point. So you've got to remember that Banner makes it very clear that going in the past does not change your future. So there's no effect on the future by him going back. So that's how everything remains untouched until he catches back up. Based on your definition, Captain America will exist, even though Joe Biden handed the shield off. Yeah, because, remember, we see two Caps in the movie fight each other. Which already breaks Time Cop laws. Right, exactly. But this isn't, this isn't Back to the Future. This isn't Time Cop. So by going back in the past and staying there, it doesn't change the future. It doesn't erase Captain America as we know him. There's still the cap in the ice. He just stays with Peggy and lays low. Everything happens as we've seen it. Meanwhile, we have Captain America, who ends up being like 114 years old by the end of the movie, or something like that, watching it all. There's two caps in that timeline that whole time. Just like there's two caps in the 2020 time or 2012 timeline to fight, there are two caps in this timeline. That Steve Rogers has watched all this unfold because of his moral character. He didn't act because. Although being in the past doesn't change the future, if he did do anything in the past, that could have affected the main timeline. But that creates an inherent problem because then he still exists and he's given the shield away. And it also then means like, oh, he's just going to come back. My thoughts on this are actually counter to uh, Jumpzilla's. As I understand it, he lives out his separate timeline by himself. He's Anytime you go into the past, you are creating a separate timeline, a separate reality. And I know Steve is supposed to go back and erase that, but by staying with Peggy Carter, he creates his own timeline, which he then has to jump from to go into our Avengers Endgame timeline, which then he hands off the shield. Now, no. The stones. I, removing the stones is what makes the di- the divergent timelines. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. You've got to couple what the old, the ancient one gives to Banner and what Banner says. Yeah. Trust me. There's two cap. There's two caps in the MCU. Up and up until the point that the one leaves and doesn't come back, then you're back to one cap. Here's my only thought on this. This is all building to Secret Wars. They're creating extra timelines. Like, Loki escapes in the one timeline oh. with the Tesseract. This okay. is all building to Secret Wars. See, see, the key there is the Tesseract. You're right. The multiverse thing is real, but the Cap thing is a done deal. Cap, Cap went back and lived his life. That's why he has the same memories as our Cap. That is our Cap. That's him. He's been here with Peggy. That's why they don't show you Peggy's husband in photos. That's why it was left ambiguous. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's where we stand. But anyway, I thought that was a great twist. That caused me to gasp audibly in the theater. I I will say that this movie has the highest emotional highs of any MCU film. When I went into this movie, I said, I need really two things out of Endgame. I need Cat to lift Mjolnir. And I need him to say Avengers Assemble. And as a long shot, Cap needs to get that dance. And I got all of that. And I also got 
Tony Stark realizing that the one way he can save everything is by self-sacrifice. And I gotta tell you, in every scenario, I tears. When, as soon as Thor realized he was still worthy and brought Mjolnir into the future, I was like, oh, I know what's about to happen. And we saw that hammer lift up and it glance off of Thanos' head only to return to Steve Rogers' hand, I stood up in the theater. I'm, now, granted, this was opening night, and literally I was dressed as Captain America and shouted, Yes! And then, to, just to see all of the rest of that play out, and the cap on your left, and all these portals open, and all these people from all these disparate places coming together to fight Thanos was just, like, I hadn't. I didn't feel that way since the the first Avengers movie. That first tracking shot where it follows all of the Avengers together. Where I was like, I can't believe this is a real thing. That's yeah. how I felt in Endgame, where it brought it like it literally brought in Howard the Duck. My my only frustration with that part of the end is where Strange looks at Wong and goes, "Is that everyone? What you wanted more? Yes, I wanted the goddamn Defenders." Should have given Daredevil and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and even <laughs> Iron Fist, even though he sucks, they just should have. But like, they're there. They don't know what's going on, but they're going to deal with it. I'm sorry, Captain Cash, but uh, those shows were never coming. They should have. I don't care. The only reason I didn't rank this higher was simply because it takes a while to get going. You have a full hour where they make you sit with the ramifications of infinity war before they go fuck time travel i guess we're good yeah that the whole time travel thing sort of makes it too easy and the build-up to it is kind of unnecessary they could have really just jumped right into it um the final battle was was great but again you it's clear the highlight was the big three in the end oh yeah that that makes the movie yeah, it was great to have the big over the big battle scene with all the other stuff and all the other characters. That was great. But at the end of the day, all we really needed was Cap with Molnir and the Avengers Assemble, and that was awesome. The movie had some issues. Fat Thor was a one-note joke, and they really stuck with it. Way too long. You know, and, and, and not even Fat Thor, but drunk, uh, belligerent Thor also kind of... No one seemed to really take his, his obvious problem with depression and alcohol seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, kind of just like chuckled that away and you know side-eyed it but it was all right because he was fine in the end he became a cheese whiz joke it's like dude this guy's like having some issues he got problems <laughs> I, I think too one thing that i didn't like about this movie and i think casual people might have casual fans might have had the same problem i really needed that uh captain marvel stinger somehow incorporated into the film to try to understand the timing a little bit better, because even then I was expecting to see that again, much like we did. We saw the the scene from uh, Ant Man. We yeah, saw that Civil War. In Civil War. Remind me, what was her stinger? They're messing with the pager in the lab, and then they lose the signal, and then she just shows up. I think if they put that into the timeline and given some context when she actually arrives, that would have made more sense, because it's clear that she arrived. And then she leaves, gets Tony, and comes back. So her arriving with Tony was not her first arrival. 
they had they had talked to her previously, right? She feels very tacked on to the entire movie. Well, again, much like Thor gets a little railroaded in these movies, her movie was being filmed at the same time. Yeah. So her character was, they didn't know what Captain Marvel was going to be, much like they didn't know what Ragnarok was going to be. And they had an idea, but yeah, it doesn't translate. The characters don't feel the same between those two movies. That's probably my biggest knock on the Russo brothers' work is that they didn't treat those characters, specifically Thor and Captain Marvel, the same as they were treated in their last solo films before the ensemble pick. Mm, That's fair. But they couldn't have. They didn't have that chance. She's rather charmless for the majority of her solo film, but then she like really gets humanized when she rediscovers who she was. But then she returns in this movie, and then she's utterly devoid of charm for the entire movie. No, you're absolutely right. You know, she has that more distant feel that she had in the first half of, of the <clears throat> Captain Marvel movie. I think we're getting a bit off into the weeds on this movie, so let's just bring it all full circle. From what I can gather, if there truly is now a multiverse that was made through this time travel, then in Captain Cash's ideal world, Doctor Doom will mold this disparate universe into one cohesive thing and then the jeweler will steal it (laughs) and on that note we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to offer up our three movies that we would snap out of existence meaning the three least essential movies to the mcu canon and we also have one more special segment that i'm not going to spoil here we'll be right back Okay, we're back on Hops and Box Office Flops. This is our uh, last segment. We've covered our top 10 MCU movies. There was some disagreement, but all in good spirit. And now we're going to do a couple of quick things. We have, I have two questions. Number one, so if you could snap any three films out of existence and snap one, one film into existence, what would they be? I'll go through my three snap out of existence. I apologize. Chumzilla, Age of Ultron, number one. Its biggest sin, it's a stall tactic. Uh, And it essentially eschews major plot developments from both Iron Man 3 and Captain America the Winter Soldier. Hydra's eradicated in a matter of months. Iron Man's back inexplicably. Got to get rid of it. So number two, The Incredible Hulk. So aside from uh, the brief involvement with Thunderbolt, Ross, and Civil War, there's literally nothing that happens in this movie that matters. So you're gone. Number three, Iron Man 3. I like this film. I actually like uh, Age of Ultron as well. The Hulk is probably the only one I really don't have any love for this film was meant to create closure for tony and then it immediately cancels out the closure in the opening scene of the next movie you see iron man he destroys every suit in sacrifice for the love of his life and the opening scene of the next film he's iron man again it it totally invalidates everything that happened in this movie hard agree so snap in I want a real as Guardians of the Galaxy, and I want it right now. And I've mentioned this before, but I want it. There is a comic right now 
that is called As Guardians of the Galaxy. And it includes Valkyrie. It includes Thunderstrike. It includes Throg. Thor the Frog. Uh, Who else is in it? I think Beta Ray Bill is in it. Angela is in it. The uh, character who originally started as a Spawn character. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but as a way to just basically (laughs) to flip off uh, Todd McFarlane, Neil Gaiman sold the rights to Marvel. It's a a weird thing. Yeah. Wait a minute. Are you telling me there's a chance that we get Beta Ray Bill in Thor Love and Thunder? Oh, maybe. There's yeah. a distinct chance, I because think. Because that would be awesome, because that's exactly on brand for the wackiness we got in Ragnarok. I mean, he's hinted. We also got a Man-Thing uh, Easter egg as well. But come on, Beta Ray Bill would be sweet. And we've already got Stormbreaker. I'm just saying. Giant-sized Man-Thing is all I want out of anything. Captain Cash, what are your three snaps out and snap All in? right, so if I'm snapping out some things, I, again, want to stress it's not that I dislike them, just that I, if i got to pick three to go, the first one is Thor The Dark World. Of all of them, to me, Dark World seems the most jogging a place of the MCU films. I mean, it doesn't really introduce anything new beyond the Aether, which great, but... Okay, it's the reality stone. Eh, whatever. It has an incredibly forgettable villain. They fired Patty Jenkins over it. This is one of those movies that still worked out, but you can feel like this was three or four wrong decisions from turning into a dumpster fire. It it, it did okay. It did okay, but... It, it yeah. is a dumpster fire. It, it doesn't rise to the level of... An, like This movie, it was financially successful... It's still in the 60s on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not that bad. It's not that good, especially when you compare the pedigree of the rest of the films. But as Dark World goes, it's pretty weak. Yep. If I'm snapping out another film, it's going to be Ant-Man. It's going to be Ant-Man because it really just feels like another Iron Man movie and it didn't have the creative size changing that we talked about with Ant-Man and the Wasp, it didn't include the Wasp basically at all. Like, she gets a very brief cameo as who will eventually become Michelle Pfeiffer. But it just never really clicked for me. I will give that Ant-Man has the best cameo in any Marvel movie where they just, they threw in Falcon, where it was more than just a post-credits winky-wink. It's, oh, no, no, these people live together in the same world and it's part of a thing. Um... And my final snap away is is the same as you, Wizard. It was Hulk. I just it it really is the redheaded stepchild of the MCU. It it had some good ideas, and I loved that they really played up the cost of being the Hulk. One, hey, you woke up in Brazil. You don't speak Portuguese. You have literally no money or clothes. Good luck. And you're like, oh, oh, I guess this is a bad thing. So I appreciate that, and I uh, and I enjoyed uh, what's his name Eli Roth as the super soldier, but by the time he gets he turned yeah tell Tim, right, Tim Roth by the time he turns Eli Roth isn't that the hostile guy? Oh, you're right. Yeah, 
by the time Tim Roth turns into the abomination, at that point, it, the air kind of goes out of the movie. And the Hulk himself is really generic. It's clear they designed a Hulk and then they got Edward Norton, whereas the later Hulks look like Ruffalo. Like, okay, let's blow up Ruffalo's head and what was his, what would he look like with maybe a stronger jaw and a different brow, but it's still recognizably Ruffalo. This yes. Hulk is just n- no one in particular. And to be fair, uh, Captain Cash, even the Eric Bana Hulk movie had more of Eric Bana's face yeah. and the Ang Lee Hulk than what you got with Norton and the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. So it's not like it hadn't been done before. There was prior art for them to work off of, and yeah, they, they didn't take advantage of it. Exactly. And if I got to snap in one movie, it's an easy choice for me. It's going to be Fantastic Four. Uh, Marvel's first family needs to be in the MCU. And I think there's a there's a guy who does YouTube and a number of different things, Movie Bob or Bob Chipman. And he has a great idea of how to reboot this, which is to have the Fantastic Four enter the negative zone immediately as they exit. It's the present time, and for them, no time has passed. So you get that same sort of time displacement that Cap has, which I think plays very well into the Fantastic Four being a product of the 60s, but it also doesn't have the aspect of Cap where Cap is already perfect. Here you've got the, you know, the stick-up-his-ass, father-knows-best person. You've got the shrinking violet that is the invisible woman you know, becoming her own person in, you know, a much more, hopefully, uh, fair and equitable society, especially as it treats women. You've got Johnny Storm, the hothead, who realizes being a brash jackass makes you a YouTube star. And then you've got The Thing, who's who's a little bit more timeless in that, you know, it doesn't matter when it occurs, but he's become this kind of, in his mind, monster, and how does he deal with that? And honestly, I couldn't complete this snap-in without saying, wherever the Fantastic Four go, Doom is not far behind. Can we not portray Johnny Storm as Logan Paul, though? It would be terrible. I think it's a real thing. I didn't say we should portray him as Logan Paul. I just said, jackass... YouTube star. He can be a, a social media star. That seems up Johnny Storm's alley. All right, Chumpzilla. What uh, three films would you snap out, and what one film would you snap in? Okay, I am sliding on Captain Cash's Infinity Gauntlet here, and I'm going to snap off the first one's been covered Iron Man 3. I'm sorry. That movie was pretty forgettable, it was a generic villain. And there was really no big impact on Tony's arc. That movie treaded a ton of water, in my opinion. And and as uh, Captain Cash said, I think, or maybe it was you, Mr. Wizard, he blows up his armor and the next movie he's back to being Iron Man. Okay. And I'd like to point off, it's a little bit of a ripoff of the Armor Wars arc. And I'm going to come back to that because that was a much better comic arc than what the movies gave it. So number two, I'm going to snap out Guardians of the Galaxy 2. You're wrong. Yeah. 
it was all around a generic CGI mess and not nearly as much heart as the first movie. More and again, heart. I felt like that treaded a ton of water. It's just like, where are we going with these characters? Did I really care that much about Quill's daddy issues? Nah, I didn't. And here's where I'll go after you, Mr. Wizard. On number three, I'm snapping out far from home. Because, I'm sorry, that movie was just so dumb. It was so dumb. The whole AI thing, Edith, didn't be, it was so unnecessary. That whole plot point could have been cut from the movie, and it didn't impact Mysterio's motivation one bit. His, his goal to do what he was doing didn't need Stark's crap. He already had Stark's crap. They're former Stark people. They already had Stark tech. They didn't need more drones. They could build more drones. They already had the effects. Made no sense. Didn't go anywhere. Tony's decision to give it to... First off, we're repeating ourselves. Tony's decision to make the AI murder bot again clearly doesn't make sense. And then Happy, willing to hand it over to a teenager, that doesn't make any sense. The whole movie doesn't make any sense. And it's a waste of Jake Hall's performance because it was great. That's more than one Sorry, I was angry. What would you snap in? Okay, so I'm snapping something in now. And this is going to be a long one. I apologize, but I'll, I'll rush through it. We got hints of the classic Iron Man Armor Wars arc in both Iron Man uh, 2 and Iron Man 3. And the comic arc went from Iron Man issue 225 to 232. And this goes back to 1987 to 1988, okay? We covered some plot points where the hammer drones were built and Whiplash, you know, steals the arc reactor technology or recreates it. And they actually name drop somebody from this comic arc in Iron Man 3, Jack Taggart, which was AKA Firepower. But he wasn't the real deal because in the comics, Firepower wore armor, okay? In this arc, Tony's tech gets stolen by Justin Hammer, effectively, through some uh, industrial espionage. And there's a bunch of copycat armored supervillains out there. Tony realizes his tech's stolen, goes out to reclaim it, and it leads to an escalation of events where he ends up facing off against this firepower guy, a.k.a. the Jack Taggart, who has a neutron bomb strapped to his back, and he has to defeat him. Uh, he fakes his death at some point. He comes back in his classic Mark uh, 7 armor, which is the classic quintessential 90s armor for Iron Man. He, mo he moves from the Silver Centurion to the classic red and gold 90s armor that I remember. That's my Iron Man. It's awesome. And listen to all these characters that we could have gotten from this arc. The Beetle, Doctor Doom, Stiltman, Stingray, the Crimson Dynamo, Titanium Man, who Iron Man kills. The Spy Master, who steals the tech originally and is eventually killed by the Ghost, which we already have now in the MCU in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, the Guardsmen, who are the prison guards at the Vault. Life Model Decoys from S.H.I.E.L.D., Mandroids from S.H.I.E.L.D., and a full-on armored firepower. And again, this, this arc was awesome. It's what brought Iron Man into the 90s. And I think there's so much stuff they could have mined out of that story arc. That would have been a great movie. And to my point, the, the post-snap world is a perfect place they could have inserted Iron Man 4 for all the money. 
where Tony's tech has somehow gotten proliferated out and there's mercs running around with it and Tony has to run around and hunt these guys down. That would have been an awesome arc for his five years between the snap and Endgame, hunting down these rogue guys running around with his tech. It would have been sweet. You could have gotten all these throwaway villains tossed in there. It, it would have been awesome. And I, I think it would have sold a ton of toys. That's a nice pull. So lastly, and all good fun, because we've had a lot of fun with these movies, but I think one of the highlights of all these movies is Stan Lee's cameo. So favorite MCU cameo. I will begin. As Thor explains that a drink will basically be too much for a mortal man, Stan Lee, a war veteran, looks at him and says, he says, neither was Omaha Beach, Blondie. Stop trying to scare me. <laughs> and that comes from Age of Ultron, which I would have snapped out, as you know, I just mentioned, but it is such a friggin' great cameo. And then he's dragged out of the par- party and says, yeah, That scene is great. So, see you. It's a, probably the best scene in the movie. So, No, that's a good one. My favorite one, and I'm gonna, I know already I'm, I'm stealing it from Chumpzilla, is the Captain Marvel cameo. I love Mallrats. Mallrats was the original Stanley cameo. So to see Great. Captain Marvel give Stan Lee a nod to what is arguably the most fun Stan Lee cameo is the things dork made out of orange rock like the rest of his body. It was just so great. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, holy shit, that's incredible. Yep. That was so clever. Yeah. And and correct if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that even if the things dork is made out of orange rock, we know for a fact it's uncircumcised because he's, in fact, Jewish, correct? He is quite Jewish, yes. One of life's great mysteries. <laughs> Solved. Um, yeah, so I, I would have picked the same, but since I can't, and Captain Cash stole mine, uh, and I agree that I think his actual appearance in Mallrats might actually be better. Um, I think my favorite is Deadpool. I really enjoy him being the uh, strip club DJ. I thought that was great. I thought that was clever and subversive and unexpected. But I'll cheat because I realize that might be considered cheating. And since it's Deadpool, I'll kind of break the rules of the fourth wall here and say that if I have to go with a straight-up MCU cameo, I'm going to go back to Tony Stank because that was great. That was funny. Don Cheadle was great. Come on, that's hard to beat. You know, Thank Tony you for that. Yeah. Yes, yes, he is. Tony Stank. Yes, he is. Right? Yeah, that was, that was great. That Thank was you. Fun. Yeah. Because, again, I wasn't expecting a joke. I was expecting a little you know, cameo there. But, yeah, that, that carried on that high point from uh, Ultron, you know, keeping up with the comedic com- uh, cameos. A few quick notes before we go. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I only say Apple because that's uh, the predominant podcast of choice. And, of course, if you've got a suggestion for an episode, i.e. Starship Troopers, that was a suggestion. Superman Returns, which is upcoming. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, also upcoming. Uh, We will do those. Uh, Just hit us up on Twitter, at HopsAndBOFlops. You can find me, at WriterTLK. You can find Captain Cash, at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H. I can't promise any suggestions will be done, like, the next week, but... 
we will try to get to them. Uh, we've had a good time. Please tweet us your top 10 Marvel movies. Be interested to see where yours rank. This was a good time. We will see you next time. Signing off. Bye.